This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. If you were to paint a picture of the Christian life, what would you paint? A battle scene? A mountain climb? A meadow full of feeding sheep? Our Lord Jesus painted the picture for us in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. It's the picture of a royal wedding feast. And the invitation into the Christian life sounds like this. Come to the feast. Here's a passage that we have before us in Matthew chapter 22. You know, I'm not the kind of individual who's had this kind of experience. Years and years ago, I married a young couple that were living in a little apartment above a garage. He ended up striking it rich. I went back to visit them about 10 years later, and they had built in the southern tip of British Columbia this beautiful mansion, wonderful mansion. And I remember when she was taking me around and showing me the place. It was just still under construction. I've been there since then. And she showed me her dressing room, and her dressing room was the size of my family and living room put together. And she told me, well, this is my indulgence. And I said, I got news for you. This whole house is an indulgence. I still hear from them. We went into an early retirement. His business is continuing to go forward. And they make the rounds in the high set of life. And so what often comes are photos of various dinner parties that they're going to and attending. I guess there are dinner parties. I've never been a part of the dinner party crowd. It's not a part of my experience, but just by looking at the picture she sends out on her Instagram site, I see that it's something that happens for certain individuals. And there she'll be seated with some celebrity or some famous individual and... I understand that these dinner parties can be quite extravagant, uh, that some of these parties are such that people will actually pay thousands of dollars a plate in order to be attendant to some dinner that's honoring some popular cause or is giving support to some great political figure, and that these parties are such that people actually will be disappointed, believe it, that they're not invited to spend thousands of dollars to go and be attended at that place and get their picture with that person or be noted as being committed to some certain cause. It's an amazing thing. And even right now, you know, there are people who are disappointed that they didn't get an invite to the latest royal wedding that's taking place. They realize now that whatever popularity and what honor they thought they had and position they had, they don't have it. They're a little lower down on the social strata than they thought. And that there are other individuals who are euphoric, that they have the opportunity to go and buy the outfit and take the time to go and be a part of the festivities that are going to be taking place. These are events where people are eager to be invited to attend. They're feast where few are invited, but many want to come. On the other hand, we have a passage here that we're looking at, a parable that the Lord Jesus is teaching us of, of a feast in which many are invited, but few want to come. It's an allegory. It's an allegory in which one thing stands for another thing. And one thing is attesting to a historical reality that's coming upon the people of Israel, prophetic word that the Lord Jesus is giving before the people of Israel, and also an underlying spiritual truth that underlines the parable itself, which we're going to be looking at more deeply. It's a historical indictment against the attitudes of the nation of Israel in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic declaration or pronouncement 
of the rejection that is going to be coming upon the nation of Israel and also of a redirecting of the message or invitation to people to come into God's kingdom away from the people of Israel and to the Gentile nations. The parable before us is a parable in which the king is God the Father. The son is Jesus Christ. The invited are all of mankind. The wedding feast is compared to the kingdom of God or the rule of God in the lives of people and also what God is planning to unveil for us in all eternity. From a historical perspective, it's a parable that's spoken against the religious leaders that the Lord Jesus is standing before in Jerusalem. We're in the week in which he's going to be crucified. And he's telling them, he's not the one under threat. He is not the one under the warning of some dire event. They are. And this is what they're facing because this is about what they're ready to do. It's not only an indictment of the religious leaders, but it's actually an indictment against the whole of the nation of Israel. In it, the Lord Jesus is prophesying about the destruction that's going to come upon Jerusalem, which will take place probably about 37 years after this announcement's taking place, in which war will be made against the city, and the city will be burned to the ground. The ones who are the messengers that are sent out with this wonderful message that are slain in this parable, but have been known to those listening to represent the various prophets who had been slain in Israel. It would speak to their understanding of what happened to Isaiah. It would speak to Zechariah, who was slain before the temple. It would speak to Jeremiah. The understanding of the Jews was that Jeremiah was put to death in Egypt by the Jews that he was with because they refused to listen to his message. It would even refer to and speak to John the Baptist, the latest prophet that they had recognized who has been slain in their land. It will expand from there, these ones who are slain, to include the Lord Jesus himself. It will include Stephen, who becomes the first martyr. It will include James, who is, according to tradition, was cast down from the Temple Mount and killed by the Jews there in persecution as well later on. All of this is coming before them. It's a prophetic expression proclaiming that the gospel now is going to move out beyond these original invitees in Israel and it's going to include all of the Gentile world and it's going to begin very shortly and we'll see that it does in the book of Acts that it's going to begin with the apostolic witness. It's continuing to this day. That's what we were talking about in these announcements and what God is doing at the Ninawachi Mission Institute and what's happening in India and what's taking place in Kalimantan, Indonesia and what we're doing in Brazil and Bogota and that just from this small group but around the world there are people who are carrying on and bringing forward this message and it's going forward this is what the Lord Jesus is speaking of but for our purposes this morning what I would like to do is I would like to look at the underlying spiritual revelation the things that the Lord is declaring to be true of God and declaring to be true about man's response to what God is doing and what God's response is in light of that and what God continues to do. And so in this passage, we'll see a statement of the purposes of God for the individual. We'll see a statement of the person's problem in relationship to God's purposes. We'll see a statement of God's position in relation to the problem that man has or that man presents. And finally, we'll see a statement of God's extended proposition or God's extended invitation to people still in light of all these things. So let's look at them one at a time. Let's remember these. First one is this. God's purpose for the individual is revealed in this passage, and it's this. 
He longs to bring individuals to a feast. He longs to bring them to a feast. God's heart for mankind and God's heart for His creation and man is all good. The goodness of God and the kindness of God draws up within Him a purpose and design to bless abundantly and beyond imagination. The Lord Jesus is here saying to these leaders of Israel, these rejecting leaders of Israel, that God's purposes all along, God's design all along towards individuals and towards the nation of Israel has to be compared to a feast. Not only a feast, but a royal feast. Not only a royal feast, but a royal wedding feast. An affair of such a magnitude as this is not something that would have taken place over a day, but would have taken place not only over days, but would have been taking place over weeks. It would have been a period of time of festivity in which there would have been ever climaxing expressions of opulent benevolence and blessing and feasting on all the guests who came and arrived. It would have been quite a tremendous and remarkable event. It actually would have been something that would have been far beyond the association or experience or understanding of the vast amount of people that were being addressed at this time. And the Lord Jesus is basically saying that an event like that is reflective of God's mindset towards those that He's inviting to Himself. He desires for your life to be one of ever-climaxing festivity and feasting on the riches that He alone can provide out of His endless and royal resources. I want to bless you, and I want to bring you into a feast. That's what God is planning. Actually, we know this is true. From the very beginning, when God created man, we're told that He set our first parents in a garden. And in a garden that God had pronounced over it that it was very good. It's as if he had set the stage before he put us there, before he put man there. And he looked over everything that he created and made. And he said, this will do just fine. This is perfect. This is good for the blessing that I'm intending for mankind. And then he said, Adam and Eve in that place to bless them and Is not God revealing His intentions and His purposes for us in the garden? Is He not simply revealing, not simply the advantage that He gave Adam and Eve, but all along the destiny that He's longing for and wanting for Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve sinned. They fell in the garden. They fell from the garden. They were driven from that place of goodness and benefit and blessing and communion with God. And yet if you go on and read through the Bibles, you'll find out that the Lord does not dismiss or does not put away this intent. As you go through and read the Bible, you see that the Bible is full of ongoing invitations and ongoing indications that God's plan and God's design still is for us to enjoy this kind of benefit and blessing. And so as you read it, you'll see that there are expressions where God is calling us to drink in the sweet wine and milk and honey of his blessings. He is promising banqueting tables and participation in sacred pleasures. And he's promising delights and enjoyments that go beyond imagination. We read about that in Psalm 16 verse 11 in our scripture reading this morning. There 
The psalmist writes, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what God is promising. This is the overture that God is making on a regular basis. The scriptures are marked with trumpets sounding, with rapturous music, with dances of delight, with proclamations and invitations to come and fill yourself with the spiritual delights that only God himself could offer you in himself and of himself. And the Lord Jesus identifies himself with this heart of God and this mission of God when the Lord Jesus presents himself in John 10.10. There the Lord Jesus says, I have come that men might have life and have it to the full. I've come to fulfill the heart and the plan and the desire and the longing of God to bring you into fullness and blessing, to pour out upon you all of His goodness and cause you to feast on these things. Paul shares with us this desire of God to bring us into the profound satisfactions in life when he prays in Ephesians 3.19 that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. What would the result of that be? But satisfaction, and delight, enjoyment, and wonder. God is not holding out on you. He's holding out to you an invitation into the greatest party of all, one so full of enjoyments to be discovered that it will take forever and ever. You have to ask yourself, why wouldn't I come? God is not holding out on you, but you may be holding yourself from Him. Why don't you come? This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, or to address questions like this, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.